We are the Coin Boys, your average everyday crypto pros. That's right. It's Andy, uh, producer by the way, or producer BTW on Twitter. And sitting across from me is my cohort, my partner in crime, Daniel Gutierrez. What's up, everybody? At D Gutierrez eighty four. Want to follow me? Yeah, we're laughing because uh, I messed up the like we are like it's I it's he, it's really an art form for him. Am I losing he, it now? I don't you're, know. You're I've been lo- doing it's just it like so much. You are like a a, a trained opera singer who has to hit that perfect note yes it's true um it's true it's become like kind of like our our i guess our signature opening i mean yes much uh i i you know i think there was one time you we switched that up or something who knows? yeah i didn't like it but i was like this is not that didn't feel like me yes but uh anyway uh welcome to an in-depth interview episode but before we get into that we just wanted to kind of settle back and remind any new listeners that have joined us uh, or maybe old listeners that didn't join us when we had a website because we do and it's uh it's pretty pretty logged with like blogs and and podcasts and a, a yes. hub for you yes the coinboys.com yes uh and also build uh be sure to join the coin family right there. Uh, we have our email list. We're setting it up, and we're going to start emailing everybody some stuff. We're just building everything up right now, but we wanted to have that already set up and prepared. And give us a phone call, 424-372-7437. I keep on saying that, but nobody calls. You know that I don't remember the, the phone number. Good for you. Because I keep on wanting people to call. Good but for you. Nothing. Nothing. And I have a feeling I know why. Yeah. But I think it's because we have a local number, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it may be like a little... Yes, I think Strange. it's Orange County, California yeah. number. It's uh, local actually. LA or local. I think it's LA. Is it LA? Because I think Ventura County. Hmm. I'm not too sure. I don't know where 424 is, but I, I, I see a lot more 424s in LA. That's why. Well, uh, also, I want to reiterate something. We did, I know we've done this a lot, and we did mention this uh, last week, but we kind of rejiggered the way we're displaying and exhibiting our podcast. And, uh, and basically, what we're looking at now is Tuesdays and Thursdays are going to give you our main content, which means our podcast, which is the soul of the show. Yes. Uh, so what that means is every Tuesday, we'll have a new episode available, and every Thursday, we'll actually be doing live replays. On Twitter, yes. On Twitter, we've already tested this. We've done a, a fantastic job with our, our connection with the Twitter office. And Just the, kidding. And the it's great a, thing about that, though, but the great thing about that is if you want to talk with us while the show is playing, we will be on there and you guys can say, hey, what's up? We'll definitely... Yeah, that, that's the that's thing. That's live that communication. We can interact with you aside from just being there. We could uh, text with you. And, uh, you know, sometimes when you do those shows live, you can't pay attention to the to the chat. In this case, we can because yeah. we're going to be uh, live to tape and we'll be live with you on the show. Yeah. Or at least one of us will be. Yeah, and, and we're, we're playing with the time right now. We're doing it in the morning, but if you guys feel that there's a better time for us to do that so we can... Definitely chat with you guys. Let us know. Reach out to us at yeah. Coinboys Cast. No. It's, I keep on missing that. Wow, one you up. keep messing up. Yeah. Let me do the social media. So sure. the, our social media handles are the Coinboys Podcast on IG and Twitter. And you could email us at the Coinboys at the Coinboys.com. And basically that's it. Again, the Coinboys.com has everything you need to see, but I think it's time to get into this in-depth interview, uh, Daniel, because we got an interesting perspective from someone yes. in politics. Yes. Uh, and his name is Andrew Sarrega. And I only said it right because I said, like, Sega, right? Yes. Because, you know, I'm a video. And he's like, yes, actually. That's pretty close. I don't know if anyone's ever said that to him. I didn't ask him. But uh, uh, anyway, Anchor is basically, Daniel, a yeah. stable coin. Yeah. You may not have heard of it yet, but it's uh, it's 
what they're doing is very very interesting uh and they're also we've never had a stable coin on our podcast which we was, did have a tether episode though we had a tether episode but we never had talked talk to somebody who's working with a stable coin and he had a very very unique perspective because it he wasn't coming from um from any technical aspect he was coming from a political aspect and he is the vp of government relations so his job is to go out there and speak to governments and and essentially talk to them and get them to adopt this stable coin and so he has an insight uh into how economics work how politics works that that we haven't been able to speak of yet so i was really excited to talk to him about that stuff yeah and of course you know there's sometimes we're we're bringing people on the show and i think one thing our niche is is we kind of learn a little bit about their background before crypto because we all existed before crypto and i think that his story is really interesting and i don't want to spoil it but let's start out with what anchor is here is andrew sarrega Anchor is pretty much uh, the first stablecoin to kind of peg its value to the entire global economy. And we do that through a proprietary algorithm that we've developed and we call the MMU. And basically what this does is it gives an, uh, kind of a never before seen level of stability to the value of our stablecoin, which we ultimately hope will become a platform or a basis for all other cryptos uh in the market and future stos as well okay cool and um i guess before we're gonna get into a lot more in depth yeah but let's get some questions for but sure. just so people kind of get the idea of what they're going to be listening to about and you're going to describe uh let's talk about you uh what's your background kind of before crypto and then how did you kind of end up with anchor so uh my background is actually uh law enforcement um after playing professional soccer in europe for a couple years uh, i got hurt 21 years old, came back to the States and uh, applied and got hired with uh, the Newport Beach Police Department. So wait, you just skipped over the fact wait, that hold on. you skipped over professional soccer. <laughs> Let's go back to professional <laughs> You're like, soccer. But wait, I was a cop. And I, <laughs> I understand that. I was, thank you for serving and protecting. But like, go back to professional yeah, soccer Yeah, I want to hear about that. That's cool, man. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I grew up playing uh, soccer. My parents uh, escaped communist Romania in 86 and... You know, my dad had this affinity for soccer, so pretty much growing up, that's what I did. I got really good at it, and then uh, I left to Brazil for a while. I played there for about half a year, uh, got transferred to a team in uh, Romania and Europe, and played there for almost two years. Uh, pretty much after getting hurt, uh, doctors like, hey, you, you have this recurring injury, Oof. very likely that you can't continue your career, so oh, man. the end of it. We, we hear that all too often, about, but it's so great that you had something to to fall back on, which uh, which came out to be law enforcement. Uh, so, um, first off, is the, uh, which team were you on in Europe? So it was a team in Romania called uh, FC Drobeta. Um, hmm. They pretty much were in the the first division of uh, of that country. One of you know, a, I would say a good team in that country. But for me, coming from the U.S., it was kind of it was a, a little bit not so much a culture shock because I kind of grew up a little bit in that culture, but. It was just seeing a new world, experiencing new people, and kind of understanding that this world is a lot bigger than, for example, Orange County, California. Yeah. And that was a that was a definite plus for me in terms of life experience. Yeah, and I and I have a feeling we're probably going to come back to that because we often do when when we get to people and how they felt about crypto when they first hear about it. But so you come back to Newport uh, to Newport Beach, um, which is if, for those who don't know, it's close to L.A., which is where we're out of uh where um oh and you get into the police department why did you why did you choose law enforcement 
so my brother was actually working as a, my younger brother was a cadet at Anaheim at the time. And um, law enforcement's one of those careers where, you know, former athletes kind of tend to, to draw to uh, just because there's a lot of uh, camaraderie. Um, it's, it's a pretty active uh, profession. And at the same time, it provides the opportunity for new and challenging events that take place on a daily basis. Nice. And I guess the team aspect, because you guys are like in, you know, a group like the, the police departments or departments, you know, sectioned off. So I guess it's also that working together, I, I would think, right? Yeah, I mean, that's a big aspect of it. Listen, you know, at the end of the day, we kind of rely on each other for, uh, you know, pretty much put our hands in the lives of, of our partners. And that to me, that camaraderie is, uh, is something that a lot of athletes seem to to want to gravitate towards. So. Awesome. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective. So what was your next step after after the department? So uh, actually, after I got hired, I went back to school full time. So got my degree in criminal justice while working as a, as a police officer. Uh, got my master's degree in public administration. And then at 25 years old, became the youngest elected official in the city of La Mirada. And uh, wow. been doing that ever since. Nice. So what were you and you were elected into what? Uh, what in Lamarai? What? So it's basically a city council. Okay. And then from there, I was appointed to uh, a couple state boards, state advisory boards. Um, cut a couple uh, got elected to some uh, regional uh, bodies, and basically tried to immerse myself in uh, in the world of politics, local government, um, and state government to better understand not only because I had the enforcement side of it. But now I'm looking at the legislative side. How can I create laws that, you know, as a police officer, it was just, you know, pain in the neck to, to just see the things that were coming out of Sacramento and some of our local governments. So I was like, how do I create a better system or how do I help to uh, to put a better product forward for residents? Now, when did the because po- politics came into my life like later on in life in terms of when I became interested in, in it? When were you st- when did you start getting interested in politics? I would argue that I was kind of born into it, um, if you will. My parents, you know, my dad being uh, an adamant uh, opponent of communism. Um, once he came here, he was always involved in, uh, in politics, at least in following it. So kind of grew up in a, in a very political home. Um, they taught me the importance of freedom and what it means and how easily it can be taken away. So I guess it was kind of a lifelong training for, for what I eventually wound up doing or am doing and that's politics nice and then uh okay so what so let's get to let's catch up to anchor and how you kind of got into crypto um what came first anchor or crypto yeah what came first (laughs) uh i would say i had knowledge of crypto long before i had actually buddies that were in uh bitcoin in as early as 2011 um so guys that were really in that space uh, always on the forums, always uh, following up with stuff. And basically, um, I didn't pay much attention to it, obviously to my regret now. But at the, yeah, well, at the time, it, it didn't it didn't seem like it had uh, much potential. But once I saw it start to grow and I actually looked into the blockchain technology behind it, I realized, holy crap, this is kind of that revolution in finance that I think um, will have tremendous impact in the coming years. Awesome. Okay, so when did you, when did you actually get into the crypto technology or, or, or blockchain technology? 
um was it prior to anchor or 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 like for yourself on a personal level was it prior to anchor anchor or or, or did anchor approach you so i was actually uh, approached by anchor more for my uh political prowess than anything else um because nice. you know they they realized my abilities in that terms i was actually while i was running a congressional campaign for an individual out of southern california i met our ceo daniel popa and we met at a, an event in Phoenix, I think. And then this was about, I don't know, three years ago, something like that. Uh, met up a couple times after that, got to know each other. And then I think last August, I get a call from him. He's like, hey, I got this amazing project that we're, uh, we're starting on. I'd love to bring you on board. The more I heard about it, the more I looked into it, the more I realized, hey, this, this has potential. Um, and I was excited. I jumped on board and you know, never looked back, if you will. Okay, so let's talk about, and, and thanks for all the background. We really appreciate it. Uh, we always find really, really great stories behind a lot of people that get involved in cryptos. And um, I know that you had the injury and stuff, but it's really cool that you were kind of in Europe playing professional sports. And here you are now talking about crypto. Uh, so let's talk about Vice President of Government Relations for Anchor. Let's talk about what you do uh, for on a daily basis and what why they brought you in and your importance to Anchor. Uh, would be awesome to kind of kind of learn about. So you know, one of one of my skills being uh, an elected official is public speaking, and I would argue that you know not many elected officials have that skill. But it was just something that um, I developed over time. Uh, I mean, from a young age, you know, attending church, my dad would always force me to go up in front of church and say a verse or something. So I got used to speaking in front of uh, large audiences, um, and then also just kind of you know growing up and uh, being in that atmosphere, I developed the skill to be able to, you know, go before a large crowd of people, deliver an effective message that they could, you know, retain. So basically, in terms of why they brought me onto this project, initially, it was to deal with, you know, investors, um, trade shows, kind of being a little bit of the face of the project. Uh, but on the back end, my job uh, actually takes quite a drastic turn and I can get into the, the details if you'd like, but uh, it really does have to do with working with foreign governments to try to adopt Anchor as a form of almost a foreign currency. That's the so, the answer to that is absolutely yes. Yes. That's, 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 the more, that's why we're really, really interested in stablecoins because really in order for that to work, a government kind of needs to adopt adopt it for the most part as far as I, as far as I kind of know, but maybe you could correct me on that as well. Um, but we absolutely yeah, want to so, know how I mean, you work with the governments. So basically adoption is, is, I would argue, the biggest problem of any cryptocurrency at this point. If you want to actually have any value behind a cryptocurrency in terms of, you know, a payment method, it has to be adopted by those governments. And, you know, barrier to entrance is the central banks that don't really want to allow another currency to come into their country, especially one they can't control. Um, so what we're doing is we're working with uh, several countries right now. We've had discussions with them, kind of presented the project, what it can do for their countries. And I got to tell you, there is an immense amount of optimism and kind of a desire for a project of this nature because it actually addresses one of the most pressing issues I feel we have in today's uh, global economy, and that's sovereign debt. So having discussed these issues with, you know, ministers of finance, top political leaders within certain countries, they've come to realize that there needs to 
there needs to be a solution uh, to what we would call the fiat problem. Um, you know, whether it's the dollar or the euro, basically countries are operating at deficits and they're only digging themselves further and further into a hole with no real way out. So that's what we hope to bring is a solution to that overarching problem of sovereign debt. So, so really quickly getting into the fiat problem, what, well, how are they getting into deficits? What are we not, what, what does the average citizen may not, might not know about that? Well, most governments in the world operate on a deficit, meaning they spend more money than they take in. And, you know, that's just kind of a product of politics, unfortunately. Um, if you try to take stuff away from people, they're not going to vote you in the next time. So most politicians just kind of, hey, we'll, we'll give people, you know, more and more. But the problem is, in doing so, they spend money they don't have. It's almost like, you know, in the U.S., we have a big issue with credit card debt, right? People are always living kind of outside their means. Uh, for one reason or another. Basically, countries are doing the same thing. They're literally spending money they don't have. And the problem with the bonds that they issue, they're kind of like, a, if you're familiar with mortgages, it's an interest-only mortgage. So you're never actually paying down your debt, really. What you're doing is you're paying the interest on it, and that debt never goes away. So when the bond matures, they just end up you know, reissuing bonds to cover their old ones. And that's that's becoming an increasing problem because these debts are starting to reach the level of, you know, their national economies or basically their GDP. And once that happens, their bond, you know, gets downgraded and it's going to be harder to make payments. If you have a recession, that's even worse because now you're making even less money. Don't have that to pay it back. So it just creates this unfortunate cycle of debt and it causes a lot of uncertainty, um, in global economies because, you know, situations like Greece where they could default on that and it would cause big problems for the banks that uh, that purchased that debt. Yeah, I just wrote an article actually on Sunday about this, um, uh, on how this was started actually from uh, from a long time ago. But that's uh, – I that's one of the reasons why we love Bitcoin and, and, what, and what's – and in terms of, um, you know, it doesn't – you can't – create more it is what it is it's stabilized as as what's stabilized and that's why i kind of like it but the but the other half is will that work Did anchor now can we get into anchor itself really quickly how how is anchor how does anchor work as 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 a coin or as as yeah as a coin um but the biggest part of this project is what we call the mmu or monetary measurement unit and that's our algorithm that basically gives a nominal value to the entire global economy. Now, the reason we chose to do this is if you think about every other fiat currency in the world, the U.S. dollar, the euro, anything else, um, the true value behind those, uh, those fiat currencies is the government that says they have value. Um, it used to be the gold standard. They went off the gold standard because they literally they couldn't issue the kind of money that they wanted to and require that they have those holdings in gold. So basically um, what we did is we said, hey, instead of looking at a piece of a larger puzzle, whether it's the U.S. economy or gold or anything else, let's figure out the value for the entire global economy. And let's see how that has reacted over the years. So what we did is we took massive amounts of data that countries put out for the past 25 years from over 190 countries and we calculated, you know, macroeconomic factors, real GDP, PPP, 
We even have a large basket of currencies of over 16 currencies from 20 countries that have at least 1% participation in uh, global GDP. And we took all that massive amount of data and we calculated, we created a formula uh, with PhDs that Daniel hired in economics, mathematics, uh, finance, and basically created this MMU. And it is, it's, we have a simulator, we've been able to run it, we can see that it is the most stable form of value that you can create uh, pretty much on earth. Because at the end of the day, <laughs> everything is encompassed in the global economy. And if something goes down, let's say, for example, the U.S. dollar goes down, generally the euro and other currencies go up. So there's always this really interesting balancing act that takes place. But the other beauty of the MMU is that, for example, fiat currencies, they suffer from inflation. So your purchasing power over time is diminished because of inflation. What the MMU does is it has an inflation buffer. So you actually don't lose value over time. In fact, it slowly enhances your holdings or your money. So with that being as like the centerpiece of our project, we developed a dual token system around that, that we peg the value of our anchor token, which is our payment token, to the MMU. And in doing so, what we now have is a coin that is extremely stable, not subject to volatility, and most importantly, in my opinion, apolitical. I mean, the global economy is what it is. It doesn't matter, you know, what the U.S. thinks or what China thinks. It is the sum of its, uh, of its parts. So basically, we have a, a, an additional token, which is our utility token. It's called the DOC token. Uh, we took a concept from uh, econ and basically said, you know, law of supply and demand. In order to maintain the anchor at that MMU value peg, we basically, if it falls below a certain value, we initiate an auction where anchor holders can take their anchors, transform them into docks. We'll take the anchors from them, burn them, destroy them, limit supply, therefore increasing demand. Price of the anchor goes back up to the MMU. And then after a specific you know, term period of time that is established at, at the time of auction, we begin releasing those docks back into anchors and we give a premium to those that were uh, participating in the auction. So kind of to incentivize them to participate, you know, you put in a hundred anchors, we'll give you back 110 type thing. Um, on the flip side, if the price of anchor starts, you know, skyrocketing because people see value in it and whatnot, we actually infuse anchors into the system to bring uh, supply up and lower demand, therefore decreasing the price. Because again, the whole point of this project isn't about, you know, making fly-by-night millionaires. The point of this project is to create that underlying need for stability within the crypto markets. And that's what the anchor's positioning itself to do in its initial stage. Okay. So you're not – basically, um, if I have anchor, the whole point of having anchor is to – uh, in all likelihood, be at a stable price. So, uh, when compared to anything else that I'm trying to trying to to compare it to. Yeah. Is... So, for example, take a take tether, right? Mm -hmm. So you have tether. It's backed one to one by the U.S. dollar, or they claim um, they're obviously having issues proving that, and they yes. won't be audited. So there's no there's no real trust there. Well, what we said is, all right, tethers. Tether's underlying concept is a bad one because they're pegged to 
uh, an instrument that loses value over time. Uh, the dollar over time loses value because of inflation. Also, it's traded on a daily basis, so there's some volatility in that. And then also the fees that, you know, the cost of coming in and out of Tether are, you know, relatively high in terms of you being able to get the money out that you put in. So a lot of people are using Tether right now. They actually have the lion's share of the market share uh, in terms of people moving out of other cryptos when they're not trading, for example. And they go into Tether, and then when they're ready to, to you know, start trading in, uh, in other currencies, other cryptos, they get out of Tether into those cryptos and so on and so forth. So there's that movement to the tune of about you know, $10 billion a day at times. That's what we're looking to do in the in like the first phase is basically create an alternative to Tether, one that has a much more stable value and one that could be much, uh, much more readily trusted via, you know, auditing um, the supply that's out there and overall its value because its value is pegged to an algorithm that, again, measures objective uh, indicators that we don't really have control over. So. That's that's kind of where the anchor is looking to position itself as a better alternative to Tether at this point. So, and you brought up a good point because we have always felt that Tether has been extremely fishy, and we hear nothing but so we like so we have our issues with that. And one of them being, you know, we don't know what's backing it. So, in your once anchor is up and running, what are you what are you hoping backs anchor as a stable coin? So basically, what our you know overall goal is obviously the first phase and we hope to accomplish this in about six months is to become the alternative to, to tether within a year we're looking to be a kind of foundational platform for other coin offerings uh that'll that will take place whether they're icos or stos and basically provide you know our users with the ability to get into these various coins um but i would argue the third phase and kind of why i was brought onto this project and um probably the most ambitious phase of this entire project is we're looking to work with governments. And again, we already have a few lined up that once we get the funding we're looking for, we'll be able to, to start this process. We're looking to create legislation within these countries that would allow anger to be used as a foreign currency. So you can go into, you know, country A, for example, open a bank account in anchors, deposit your anchors there, and literally, you can buy milk from the store with it. You can buy, pay for services. You could integrate, you know, Anchor into the economy of that country. Now, many people are asking, well, <coughs> sorry, many people ask, what do the what do these countries get out of it? And what we're actually looking to do is we're looking to allow countries to be able to raise capital through, you know, the purchase of of their bonds, for example, or issuing of debt on Anchor. And what that does is basically the more people that use Anchor within those countries, the more money that these governments can raise for infrastructure projects, um, social services, whatever they need uh, to be able to provide for their countries. And on the flip side, what we would do as anchors is instead of being like the banks now, who in my opinion are overly greedy in the way they approach this, we're not going to basically say, okay, you know, we're going to give you a 30-year loan and then at the end of the 30 years you have to repay that loan in the entire amount while we're collecting interest the whole way what we would do is we'd come in and say okay we'll amortize that amount over a period of time 20 30 40 years whatever it is once that period of time expires you basically that loan is forgiven 
it's gone. It's done. It's already been paid for over that period of time. And what that does is it creates stability in the area of sovereign debt by allowing countries to actually project out their capital increases and be able to say, okay, you know, at this point we can start issuing more debt because this debt's going to be taken off our books. So that's kind of the overall goal of the anchors to stabilize a system that has created an immense amount of volatility. And I would argue, you know, the United States is, is kind of the ringleader in this whole thing. Cause we're literally last month, we had a deficit of almost $250 billion. If you could even imagine what that means, that means we were short in one month that much money to the point where if you took that spread it out over 12 months, you're basically increasing your, your debt by three trillion a year at this point, which is completely irresponsible. Yeah, and so I believe, we're looking. I believe that's probably. The, well, I think that's the largest in the uh, country's history. For yeah, the deficit. yeah, yeah, and uh, and that's why we looked at it and we said, hey, we have a product that can, in theory, and from what we've done in terms of work, can actually help this situation. It's going to take quite a bit of work. Don't get me wrong. But at the end of the day, it has that potential, and it's backed by what we would deem a better technology, and that being blockchain technology versus your your traditional fiat. Sure. So I understand that, that that's being backed by the blockchain te technology, but but so but ultimately, it's going to be a pegged to not pegged to, but like it's going to be uh, backed up by whatever fiat the government. Uh, whatever when when you eventually have a government. Um, uh, agree to it uh it's gonna be backed by their fiat initially to set it up and start it correct yeah and actually it it theoretically doesn't need to be backed by the fiat because if it's a payment uh token or a payment currency then you don't really need the fiat because you can actually buy anything you want with it so okay. that's actually that's the genius of this project is you don't at that point you no longer need to necessarily back it with anything because it's in circulation people are using it and the value for it isn't determined by any central bank or anything like that it's determined by the mmu which is you know basically anchored to the entire global economy okay so here's so, so here, here would be my question if let's say you get a government to say yes we want to use anchor and i still have uh we'll say disney let's say <laughs> i still have disney dollars in my pocket that were what I knew what the value to be because I knew how much I Disney how many Disney dollars I needed to buy bread or or so on and so forth. So, but now Disney switches over to Anchor. What happens to my fiat in my pocket uh, at that point? And 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 how do how do we arrange pricing on how much that bread is now worth? How how does that kind of work out? So basically, Anchor can be um, converted into any fiat. You know, kind of like you have conversion rates now, right? And so what you would do is you would take your, your Disney dollars, you would trade them in for anchors, mm -hmm. and then you would use anchors to go make your purchases or pay for whatever services you're looking for. And knowing that that anchor that you're holding isn't going to lose value over time like your Disney dollars would. So at the end of the day, what you realize is, okay, well now, instead of getting paid in the fiat that was, you know, my company pays me in, I'd rather be paid in anchors. So when they do the direct deposit, your bank, instead of putting fiat into your account, does so in anchors and converts it into anchors. And now you use anchors for your regular purchases. So 
over time, what it could, what it has the potential to do is almost create a global reserve currency. Um, and that's where large institutions are excited about this project because it gives them another alternative to the U.S. dollar and the euro, which both at this point, I would argue, are, are obviously the dollar being more stable than the euro because of political situations in Europe. But the point being, it gives them a third option, which they're desperately looking for because a lot of them are just dumping it into real estate right now. So the initial transfer over, like, so if I have 10 Disney dollars, that initial transfer over to Anchor would I would get ten Anchor and then like life would go on seamlessly or what would the tr- would the transition be a little bit more difficult than that? Uh, it it would be a little bit different because I wouldn't say it'd be exactly ten uh, like a one to one ratio. Yeah, it's not necessarily a one to one ratio. It depends on the example for let's take the U.S. dollar. Uh, mm-hmm. Our current value of Anchor to U.S. dollar is about one anchor is worth about 70 cents roughly. So the conversion, it again, we still work it out to where we compare it to other fiats, but it has its own, uh, its own value. It's not based on any one fiat. So Mm -hmm. basically what we've done is created almost our own currency. Yeah. Which, which makes sense, which is what we're kind of what we're doing, dealing with, with a a lot of, a lot of crypto projects right now. They have their own value Mm -hmm. set. Like it's not that. an ERC-20 Exactly. So token, I just didn't know where but... that value was coming from. I just wanted to make, because I didn't know if the government was just going to straight up say, okay, every anchor is now worth one Disney dollar, or if they were going to say, this is how, um, we're just all going to convert, and this is what the value is already. So it sounds like you already have the value down, so once the conversion happens, it would be whatever that conversion would be, whatever that's worth, per se, for anchor. Right. Okay. Right. And then, and then also to kind of, you know, expand upon that idea a little bit, so... Our belief is not that you can create a completely decentralized system because at the end of the day, let's be honest, banks wouldn't allow that. Governments wouldn't allow that because they would have no control of it. We are actually of the more realistic approach that there needs to be partnerships in all three of you know these, these pegs, government, institutions, and, the peop- and consumer, if you will. So we have, for example, a board of validators that we're going to comprise of 20 of the largest institutions in the world and central banks that basically they're the ones that determine the value of the MMU based on data that comes out from these countries. Um, And usually that's reported quarterly. So basically we have trusted sources looking at this MMU saying, yes, this is in fact the value of the MMU. And then we've created a board of ministers where each country will have a representative on that board and they will be able to kind of disperse those funds as they deem necessary. So basically what this does is it creates participation from governments, from institutions, and ultimately it decentralizes a lot of that control in a way that gives consumers power as well. And that's what we're looking to do. Now, will that system hold up over time? I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, banks are always going to try to to control as much as they can. Governments always want control as well. So the way I see this project, the way finance has gone in the last you know, century, if you will, it's basically banks taking more and more control, it becoming more and more centralized. I think this is that moment in human history, if you will, or that moment in time in our world where we can kind of take a little bit of that power back, at least for a period of time. So we can decentralize that system a little bit, a little bit more, whatever, but it's an opportunity to do it that you might not have had 
um, before blockchain technology came about. And see, and this is where you and I see the pro- see the same problem. And so my question is, how is this decentralizing it a little bit? How how wh- where's the decentralization coming from? Because it sounds a lot like you're essentially trying to create a new world bank, which as of right now is privatized, as far as I can tell. Um, uh, like the Federal Reserve is privatized, the Bank of England is privatized. All that stuff is privatized and that has nothing to do with the government. Governments are going to these banks to borrow money. How are, how is how are what you're doing different from what the current government banks are doing? So we actually have government officials built into this project as like a, an overall organizational chart. We have governments participating in the project. So it pulls some of that power away from these private banks that, uh, that currently control all of it. The other part is with the MMU, it's much more difficult for these large institutions to manipulate monetary policy because they don't really have too much of a say other than agreement that, yes, this is the value. So in that term, what it does is it allows for less speculation where I would argue that's where a lot of consumers end up losing uh, you know, the value of their holdings is because these entities start to speculate and devalue one currency over another. And that's what we're looking to do is create a kind of level playing field so that everyone can come in and know exactly what the value of their holdings are. What you do with that from there is on you as an yeah. individual or an entrepreneur or a business. But the point is you now have a level playing field. You're no longer competing with these large institutions that get to make the rules of the game, if you will. Which, which history has, or at least of recent data, data uh, shown once the government actually owns the bank, it becomes the country becomes a bit more st- stabilized. So that is an excellent theory, I think, and that's kind of also what I was thinking at some point uh, in, in terms of if the government takes a bit more control of the banks, maybe there could be some sort of stabilization um, on that end. So I do like that. So I do want to ask you a quick question about phase one of you guys going into and, 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 and being the replacement of Tether, which would be awesome. Uh, mm-hmm. What is your approach to that in terms of like, how are you, how, what are you guys going to be do? What do you guys want to do differently from Tether um, in order to get, to gain the trust of these exchanges? So basically what we're doing is we're in talks with these exchanges. We already have quite a few that are interested in, listing us as soon as we launch, hopefully in May. Um, So our goal is to actually create our own exchange so that we have a centralized location from which anchors come in and out. It helps us stabilize the the price of the anchor as well. And then working with these other exchanges to be listed on them allows people to be able to move in and out of different currencies much more efficiently. Until, I would argue, a more centralized system takes hold or a more regulated system takes hold in terms of exchanges and how they operate. I think that's kind of uh, one of the bigger issues currently plaguing the, the crypto markets is this, you know, fear of regulation and what it'll do to, uh, to crypto markets. But at the end of the day, I'd rather have a system that's a bit more regulated that I can trust in than some of these other projects that, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars have disappeared overnight. So that's kind of what we're looking to do is partner with these exchanges to give them a stable coin that people can come in and out of for other other cryptocurrencies or fiat. And ultimately that allows them to stabilize their platforms a little bit further 
ultimately what it would do for Anchor is increase uh, circulation and usage, and we have much smaller fees than Tether as well. So that's obviously something that, you know, even market makers would be very interested in because they save more money. So that's kind of our plan right now and for the initial phase is to to get these exchanges to list uh, Anchor and then basically have our own centralized exchange where we can control and make sure that it's always pegged to the MMEF. Awesome. Okay, cool. Thank you for, for clarifying that one. I do have a question because you had said uh, internationally a lot of people, a lot of governments are coming at you and, and seeming optimistic, but you are also kind of a part of the American government in, in a sense. Have you gotten a sense of how crypto is being taken, uh, how how long it may take for cryptocurrency to be taken a bit more seriously by our government or what, or is there something that we need to do? What, what's your advice on that? Or I, I guess like, sure. what's the water cooler conversation in the political cir- circles yeah. about crypto is my, my wondering as well. So I was in Washington uh, a little while back having a conversation with some individuals, which uh, I'm not going to release their names, but I'll just say, you know, they're, uh, let's say ranking members. Anyway, the conversation was a little bit more about kind of informing them what, what crypto really is because there's a, a little bit of a lack of understanding uh, I would say within the political or elected uh, official spectrum so they don't really get what crypto is and how it works blockchain technology and so forth um, the other thing that I would argue is that there's a resistance to, uh, to crypto on behalf of institutions uh, institutions have no desire for a decentralized system that's counter to everything that they've worked for uh, you know, since the beginning of banks. So basically you have this pushback from individuals that don't want to see crypto expand in, in terms of, you know, payment tokens and so on. They're okay with STOs and fractionalized ownerships, but they don't want it pushing past that. And even for example, the article that uh, came out a little while back where JP Morgan Chase is creating their own, you know, uh, token. That's more for internal use than actual consumer consumption. So it's not something that's going to benefit, you know, the everyday person. And I would argue right now in the U.S., there's not really an appetite for a project of this nature because what it would do is it has a potential to compete against the dollar. And the government doesn't really want that one, doesn't want that. Uh, The Fed doesn't want that. So basically, they're really tightening the screws, if you will, um, through regulations to be able to make sure that they can control uh, the direction of, of cryptocurrencies uh, as it applies to U.S. markets in the future. Now, if you go outside the U.S., uh, there's actually a push to infuse economies with, uh, with cryptocurrencies because, as you might know, there's a kind of pushback against the United States uh, in many parts of the world and some of the policies that, that the U.S. government has put into place. So there's a desire to kind of free themselves from um, the shackles, if you will, of the dollar. So it's actually very interesting dynamic globally. There's a lot of forces competing against each other. Um, I think the U.S. would be very smart to adopt this technology sooner rather than later and use it to their advantage. And I say this as a U.S. citizen because obviously that would be of interest uh, to me as a citizen. Uh, but I don't see them doing that, and I think that's going to be to the detriment of all Americans, in my my opinion. Wow. 
that's what it, that's what we're thinking as well. <laughs> but uh, you kind of confirmed it a little bit more. Um, uh, so basically, uh, I did. Uh, thanks so much for all that information. I'm personally not a very political person, and I think though for our podcast, it's really good to have someone that has that perspective in the space because we do talk about things that are going through like the SEC stuff that's happening with the American politics and cryptocurrency. But okay, so you guys are definitely close to getting things done. So I just wanted to like kind of the fi- final question here is what's the future hold for you guys at Anchor? What do you, you know, what are the big th- strides you guys are looking to accomplish in the near future? So I think the biggest one is is kind of launching uh, our basically our kind of pre-sale in uh, in May and then we hope to be live on markets by uh, by June end of June, beginning of July, end of second, being the third quarter, and actually start moving uh, moving in terms of uh, accessibility, volume, and so on. So basically, I would argue by the middle of this year, we're looking to, uh, to hit the ground running and, and really become a player in this market. That was crazy informative. And I had a lot of questions, as you could tell. <laughs> yes, you did. And I'll be honest, uh, I might have been a little bit quieter because I'm not very much a, a big politics guy, but I think it's super important. And Daniel definitely has that perspective a little bit more so. Uh, and I appreciate, actually, you spun some great questions. I think he had to answer some really interesting questions that maybe a lot of people aren't going to ask him. Because, and, uh, and I thank him for being on here because here's the thing about stablecoins. We are suspect of stable coins. Co- any coins that that claim that they're going to have some sort of stability, um, because usually that means somebody's trying to do something somewhere, um, either shady or or noble. In this case, I feel it's it's noble. But the question is, who's who's um, doing what, where, when, why? Um, what I did not seem to, but the one thing that I that I kind of felt. Uh, I still want to figure out is who is in charge, and we'll get to that once 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 that comes up to it. But right now, their first their first step is to get onto exchanges. Um, but should it take off? Should governments sign on? Okay, now who's now who's in charge? Who's the head of the World Bank now? Yeah, but but I mean, it's uh, I thought it was really interesting, and um, it's a project that. Uh, maybe you never heard of before and you know it's something you know like Daniel said we've always been kind of like not sure about stable coins and I I'll be honest besides when we did the tether episode I've not focused a lot on on stable coins so I've actually learned a lot more by uh, Andrew uh, talking about I think I think the truth is for adoption to happen I think we're going to need a stable coin of some sort something uh, pegged to whatever government's fiat or whatever governments are agreeing to use sure now now he they're trying to do what tether is not and that is they're just trying to they are trying to replace the fiat currencies in the countries so i and i know there are other cryptos that are trying to do that as well but this is the, the um but i do like their approach in terms of stabilizing it to a more global picking it to a more global scale than than just just the u.s dollar or just the euro or just whatever right. it may be yeah, and uh, I think, again, we never really had a political person on the show. I'm trying to remember. I don't think so. Really, someone sort of in that field. Don't forget, he was also a police officer, a professional soccer player, uh, or football player, as you say, in Europe. And um, I think it's interesting. I think I mentioned to him, it's like, who would have known you'd be talking about like crypto after yeah. starting out? First of all, he started as a pro player, 
then he's a cop. Yeah. Now he's more political yeah, and, and a councilman. Interesting journey. Yeah, and uh, I think I really, really enjoyed this one. And uh, it's been, I think we took a little bit of a break from some in-depth interviews. So this is a really good one to bring back to you guys. Again, look into the project. Uh, if you're interested, all the links are in the description. Uh, we are the Coin Boys, and it's really simple to find us. It's at thecoinboys.com, and uh, everything's there for you. You got SoundCloud, you got Google Play, you got Spotify. Can't forget about that. Uh, we please. might have to add that button. That button I, isn't there I, yet. I think we're going to need to, but please rate, subscribe, review, wherever you're listening to us on. And you can actually listen to us also on Anchor. Yes. <laughs> Anchor.fm, uh, which is a popular tool for podcasting. But... Most importantly, thecoinboys.com. Uh, reach out to us on Twitter, Coinboys Podcast, and IG. And I'm Andy. I'm Daniel. We'll see you next time. Peace.